This is Power Players with Dan Clark. That's Dan Clark, Power Players with Dan Clark. Thanks for joining us again on an amazing episode of this podcast where I have the privilege, the serious honor of interviewing the University of Utah student-athletes. And right now we're in the heart and soul of the football season. Some ups and downs, and as you'll hear me say time and time again, you never judge a man when he's up, you always judge a man when he's down. As a professional speaker and entertainer, people don't give a rat's walk a zoodle if I've ever succeeded. They want to know, Clark, did you ever fail? Did you ever fall down? And then what did you do about it? How did you get back up and go again? Because we all know that we learn a heck of a lot more from our losses than we do from our victories. And you got to have that thrill of victory to appreciate the agony of defeat. But you've got to appreciate the agony of defeat to really cherish those thrills of victory that come through hard work, through preparation, <clears throat> excuse me, but more importantly, through resilience. I just missed a tackle. I just dropped a pass. I just fumbled. Short-term memory, what am I going to do now? There's a difference between the person and the performance. Failure is an event, not a person. But if you're not failing a few times, it means you're not pushing yourself hard enough. So let's talk. And I'm the guy on the 50-yard line behind the bench who's close enough to, to yell out the plays that Kyle never listens to. He hasn't called one play that I've ever <laughs> yelled to him over all these years being a, a season ticket holder. But as a podcast host, my friend, my job is to ask the questions that everybody in the stands want to know because they very seldom get a chance to see inside the helmet Although we do notice that when you make a big play, when you sack the quarterback, not just you, but anybody, they, they usually take off their helmet. And if you fumble or screw up, miss a, miss a block or whatever, you never take off your helmet. I know. I know. I've been there. But here we have a chance to see your million-dollar smile and to <clears throat> get in the heart and soul of what it's like to play in the shadows of your high school, went to Timview High School, and uh, to just be close enough for your amazing family to be here to support you, for your friends to continually support you and cheer you on that they've been doing since you were a Little League superstar. So here we have with us in the studio, Corinna Reed, number 21. And uh, I watch you a lot. I've said that to a few of the guys because it's – it's important that we talk. I haven't even asked you a question yet. Thanks for coming and listening to me talk, and now have a great day. I'm so, I'm so long-winded, dude, but I'm so fascinated to get inside of your heart and soul because you were injured at the beginning of the year, and when you came out, you came out with a vengeance. It's like you had this caged cat inside of you. You couldn't wait to light somebody up. You wanted to make sure you showed up at the line of scrimmage in a bad mood, and I want to know how that happened but i want to start at the beginning let's talk about you being raised in utah county and ended up coming to uh to be a crimson crimson man forever utah man sir a utah man am i yes sir uh like you said i grew up in american fork utah there was four of us me my brother gabe um and i got a little brother mana and a little sister lena so I'm 23. My brother, I believe, is 26. Then my younger brother is 13, and 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 nine turning 10 is my sister. So well, we got a big old gap, and uh, I've loved it, man. It's been perfect. I think sometimes people look at it like 
you know, not a traditional sibling age spaced out, right? But um, I, I've been able to follow my brother's footsteps, and in a lot of ways, I felt like the third parent to my younger siblings. And so um, growing up here it has, has been a blessing, and with my family as well, I've loved every step of it. So do you have both your mom and dad in the house? Yes, sir. So talk about the blessing that comes from that so that we can keep teaching Whatever we got to do, we got to keep fighting for our marriage, working hard for our relationships and not just blow it off. Yeah, I think the older I get, um, the more I try not to take that for granted, especially coming to the University of Utah where you meet so many people that come from different walks of life. And um, you just where I grew up, you don't see that very often where there's a single parent in the home. And so even me being married and having my child, I just... Um, Marriage is, is so important, man, and, and it takes work, and it takes effort, and it takes sacrifice, and I don't know if anyone has ever mastered it, and if they have, I, I need to speak to them now, <laughs> because um, like all of us, I'm, I'm trying to be the best husband and father. Yeah, and I honor single parents. My mother was the youngest of nine children raised by a single mom, wow. but I wanted to bring that up <clears throat> because I want to honor how you were raised and how that spills over into the football game because you are so honored and revered and respected by your teammates as this team guy you're always there for everybody you look at them like a family you treat each other as a family and I think you as a leader on the team are, are responsible for that culture so let's just talk a little bit more about that so was your dad an athlete was your mom an athlete is the DNA in your blood or did you just you know, all of a sudden say hey I'm pretty fast I'm pretty strong and I can hit uh, I, th- I, th- I would hope to say that the DNA is in my blood. Uh, my dad played in that team down south that we, uh, we call <laughs> TDS, right? We use those three letters. Um, and my mom didn't play sports, but she's athletic for sure. And so um, I, I got their genes, but I think more importantly, I got their mentality and I got their spirit, which is, is all about sacrifice and, and earning everything. And so I think I got some talent from them, but more so I got character. Absolutely. This podcast episode is brought to you by Berkshire Hathaway, the most amazing company in home services, a major sponsor of the University of Utah student athletes. So, <clears throat> what was the uh, what was the management coaching style? Did your dad get in your face when you screwed up, or did he put his arm around you and love you into being a better athlete? Uh, the older I've gotten, the more he's backed off a little bit. <laughs> but, man, when I was little, it, it was as if every mistake I made, he was making it himself, right? He was that frustrated. And so uh, those long car ride homes are, are a real thing, man. I think uh, they either make or break kids sometimes, especially nowadays, those car ride homes. And so he was he was definitely hard on me. But looking back in, in the long scheme of things, it's only helped. Yeah, and in our culture where everybody, you know, someone says something wrong and they have their feelings hurt, they take their ball and go home, that's ridiculous. So what we learn as athletes in the weight room is we create discomfort on purpose. We're basically, you know, putting a little bit more weight on the bar every time we go in. We're staying a little bit longer on the pre-core. We're doing a little bit more stretching. Why do you think we forget that mindset once we leave the weight room and we want everything to be perfect and have a sale at every store and princess parking in every mall? I think it's we we expect success, you know, and I love what you said, because even in our own weight room, the strength coaches always say, hey, we're going to put you in the fourth quarter every workout. And 
they they do that and it's supposed to be so that when you get to the game okay I've, I've been here before it's been this hard and uh you gotta expect that adversity to come it's not you work hard and everything's gonna be easy afterward it's you work hard so that when the hard gets going you're still working hard you know so i love that so the hard just becomes kind of normal exactly so I've done a lot of stuff with the military. I've been down downrange eight times, Iraq, Afghanistan, firing up the troops, watching these special forces operators and these Navy SEALs run towards the sound of the guns. And we realized they weren't born that way. <clears throat> they were made. So my question to you is, how do you, how do you develop that mental toughness that allows you to keep getting back up every single time you're knocked down? For me, it's... It's the fact that things aren't about me, you know. When I was a kid, it was about bringing honor to my family, which it still is. And, and I still want to make my parents proud. And even more so now, it's about being there for my son and making sacrifice. And so um, even even making mistakes on the field, you, you can't sit there and hang your head down because the safeties need you, the D linemen need you. There's always going to be somebody that needs you, right? And so just remembering that, it's a lot bigger than you, and you got to keep going because um, somebody's counting on you to keep going. You know, you remind me of the experience. The first time I went to Iraq, Baghdad, in 2005, the war was raging, and I sat down with a bunch of soldiers. And I said, okay, you know, we congratulate you for raising your arm, raising your hand to the square in a time of war knowing you're going to be deployed. But once you got over here, What's it really about? When the bullets start flying, what's it really about? And they would get emotional, and they'd say, we're here fighting for each other. This is a brotherhood. We're a band of brothers. And we have to trust the training of the guy on our right and have to trust the training of the guy on our left. And if they trust my training, we increase our chances of coming home safely and alive to fight and live another day. So in that mindset... Take us into how what, what will you do when you're not playing on the field? You have a chance to showcase, and you really could, man. You are so good. You never take a playoff. But take us back into the off-the-field experience so that we know exactly how much work you put in to being able to perform at game time. You know the famous line about, about Hussein Bolt, the world record holder, you know, fastest man alive, that he, he trained four years to run nine seconds. I love that. He, ran, he trained four years to run nine seconds to be the fastest man alive. So teach us into the, the typical off-season program that you put yourself through and then how it changes once the season begins and you show up for training camp. Um, first of all, it's just a lot of sacrifice. I mean, there, there's so many summer nights where it's me, my wife, and my one-year-old son out on the field doing drills. And and not only is it a sacrifice for me, but a sacrifice for them, you know. Sometimes uh, my wife or my family, you know, they wish, why can't we go out for ice cream tonight or why can't we go to the movies? And we for sure put that time aside as well. But um, having those people around me that have the same goal as me is huge. I, I don't have to uh, convince them too much. They They know what we're working for. And so... Just um, not only sacrifice with them, but a lot of nights, you know, going to the gym by myself when I when I want to be home with my child or um, visiting my parents or visiting my grandparents. Sometimes those things take the back seat because I have goals that are really important to me and family will always be what's most important. But I understand that someday this this game will be over for me 
And if I can have no regrets, man, I, I'll be so at peace in, in my mind and in my heart that it'll all be worth it. I love what you're saying, man. So <clears throat> talk about the family feeling that the University of Utah program has. Every athlete I interview seems to bring up that word family because I've worked with so many teams in the National Football League. What happens is we get so caught up in these old acronyms. When we do team building, we talk about T-E-A-M, together everyone achieves more. But the teams that I've been able to take to the highest level we change that acronym to F-A-M-I-L-Y, family. Forget about me. I love you. So talk about the family atmosphere at the University of Utah and how you really, as a leader on the team, almost guarantee that everybody feels part of the family. What I would say is that when you lose, you feel that family aspect more than ever. Um, if, if you go on social media or you look online or you look outside the university – there's so much talk about we're losing because this side of the ball. We're losing because of the defense. We're losing because of the offense. But when we lose, the whole building feels like we lost. And, you know, the offense had to carry us against USC last year, and sometimes we have to carry the offense um, last year and this year. But it, it, everybody feels it. And I don't care what anybody says. When, when our team loses, our team loses. It's not the offense lost. It's not the defense lost. And I love that. I love being in the locker room and being able to wrap my arms around somebody on the offense, and, and, need, and I need that from them as well. And so it's amazing. It really is. Yeah, so how do you <clears> – <throat> one of the things that I'm sure every fan realizes is that the way we segregate the sideline is the offense is on one side and the defense is on the other side. But how do you keep that, that support, that camaraderie going – when you basically have to get ready when the offense is coming down to third and long, all of a sudden the defense starts, you know, co coagulating. I can use that word and vice versa. So how do you break through that, that segregation on the sideline and always maintain that? I'm here for you. You know, it's going to be okay. We're going we're gonna to make it through. First of all, that relationship is built on the offseason uh, because when we're out there running gassers, it's not separated, right? It's you and the next person in the line is a running back, and then after that it's a D lineman, and we all got to get through it together, right? And so I think when the season comes, you got to remember those days that we all spent together. And it, it means so much when somebody on the defense walks over to the offensive side and says, hey, you guys got this, or, or the quarterback comes to the defensive side and says the same thing because they don't have to do that, and we don't have to do that. We have our specific jobs, and we should win the game if everybody does their job, but – when people step over, and that happens at the University of Utah, people reach out um, on both sides of the ball, and that's that's what makes that team special. So <clears throat> we win and lose as teams, but we win and lose because of individuals. So what happens? How do you how do you mentally and emotionally recover if you've missed a block? Or if you come through on one of your famous blitzes through the A gap or the B gap or however the heck you're getting through, bro, you're awesome, and you run past the quarterback or you miss him, how do you how do you recover? And that's not such a big deal, right there. You know, we're like, dang. But when maybe maybe you've missed a bigger play, how do you recover? What do you do mentally? And I love, I've pointed this out many times on the podcast, that not every play is designed to score a touchdown. One play sets up another play, which sets up another play, and then the running back breaks for a 30-yard scamper to score the winning touchdown. But that also makes 
means it also holds true on the defensive side. So if you make a mistake, what do you do? You've got a 35-second shot clock. The average football play takes five seconds, another five seconds to get off the pile, and you got 25 seconds to recover. I missed it. Are you going to beat yourself up, or are you going to say, oh, my gosh, I just learned that guy's not going to do that again? Teach us about how you mentally and emotionally recover during the game when perhaps you made a mistake. I, I, I look around. I look to see my teammates around me, and I, I got to put my own personal goals as far as stats aside, and what I can't do is compound that, right, by getting in my head, by soaking because that's just going to leak into the next play. And so by looking around and remembering that people need me to step up, they need my best self, that usually gets me going. And even just focusing on other people and, and helping them up and building their confidence, just anything that removes uh, my focus on myself when I'm making a mistake always helps me get back in the right mindset. And how will it, how has that helped you become a better husband and a better a better father, you know, I'm a songwriter. One of my better hits was called Special Man Lyrical Hook. Any male can be a father, but it takes a special man to be a dad. That's your rep. So how do you take what you're learning in football, off-season practice, game time, and applying that to being a better man at home? Man, honestly, I think that question hits me with a little bit of guilt because I wish that that mindset I was – uh, that I had that mindset more off the field. And you just brought to my attention and brought to light that, you know, the more I can look around at others, especially within family, wife, uh, dad, mom, um, the better the family's going to operate. The more that we look in internally into ourselves, um, the less well the family's going to run, right? And so I think you, you bring up a great point, and that's one thing I'm going to take away from today's podcast. Well, you're, you're awesome. What a fine young man. But remember, football, of all the sports, it teaches us how to be that father, that, that dad, that husband, that man. It really, if you analyze all the things that we're really learning about life through football, pushing yourself, mental toughness, overcoming physical injury with mindset, all the things that you need to do as a dad, as a mom, that's pretty extraordinary. So, Let's talk more about uh, your family. So what's the love story? How did you meet your wife? So we met in our home ward in church. So my wife grew up in Oregon, Sherwood, Oregon. It's about 10, 15 minutes outside of Portland. And they moved over in 2016. I was still in high school, um, you know, just unsure of life, acting like I know what's going on, but not really. And so... I, we we met through church and, and became great friends, and, and we both left on our missions and made it a goal to come back and, and to get married when we get back. And so um, it's been a heck of a ride and still still pushing, man. Still I survived three years, still going forward. So, you know, what's cool is we have so many non, non-members, non you know, friends of other faith that aren't members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, but it's always curious to ask you, what did you learn on your mission that is helping you become a better athlete, a better leader, a better husband, and a better father? What what things did you learn serving on a volunteer basis for two years away from your family at your own expense? T- teach us a little bit about that. Where did you where did you serve your mission? So I served in Madagascar, and I think so did my nephew. Really? Oh my gosh! 
Go figure. Yeah. Josh Clark. Let's a little Josh. shout out to Josh Clark. Yeah. I'll have to reach out to him. Is it not uh, that missionary pool is not too big? No, you'll have so. to look him up because I remember watching the, the the animated cartoon, thinking he's going to have the greatest two years of his life. <laughs> right, that's, that's what where I he's going, too. baby. <laughs> that's what I thought, man. <laughs> but it, as far as what my mission taught me, um, I th- what people don't understand is the mission is so repetitive. And when we say two years, it's every single day of those two years. And so it's taught me that you are not going to feel like working some days and you still got to work. And and I think that's something small that I've taken home, but I've been able to apply it in every aspect of my life. You know, you wake up at 630 on the mission, you go to bed at 1030 and that that'll never change as long as you're in the mission field. And so um, I, I try to structure my life so that it's repetitive and I'm somebody that enjoys structure and I People call it boring, call it what you want, but that's that's how I like my life rolling, and it works for me, and I think that's something that's come from the mission. Absolutely. <clears throat> so where did your wife go on a mission? She served in Chile, speaking Spanish. Oh, wow. Yeah. Very cool. And you were true blue. You just, you, she comes home, you come home, and you get married. Man, just perfect love story. Yeah. <laughs> if there is one, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you stud muffin hunk of burning love. It's of course, there was no other choice. It was just you or... <laughs> yeah, I get it. Yeah. This podcast episode is sponsored by Berkshire Hathaway, Utah Properties. Thank you so much for your undying support of Utah student-athletes. So, your, your son's one years old? Yep, 15 months. What's his name? Manu. Manu. Yeah. What does that mean? Uh, it's more of a family name that came down. It. Yeah. My but what uncle. does it mean? Make up something cool, man. It, it could be stud muffin, Uncle Burnham. <laughs> you know? Come on, man. I, I've heard that it means animal or beast. Oh, perfect. Yeah, yeah. right. Very good. So he has no chance to play offense. He's getting his helmet. Yeah, he <laughs> tackled football at age five. Has to Why set wait? him up. Why wait, man? I can't believe it. Okay, so let's get into the personal side. So what do you do to prepare for a game, dude? What's your What's your routine? Because in the mission field, like you said, it's boring. It's the same day in and day out. But... What we need to remind everybody about, and I've interviewed so many NFL coaches and so many NCAA coaches, and they will remind us that w- that an average football game has 60 to 70 plays. And we win or lose that game based on six plays. And so I would drive you nuts. You know, I'm on the 50-yard line, fourth, fourth row. You're going to give me some love at some point. I just know it. But you go to the game with me, and I'm like, is that one of the six plays? Is that one of the six plays? Is that one of the six plays? And people are like, yeah. stick your J-Dog in my nose. But then the drive home is so sweet because we now can agree what were the six plays. And momentum is only as good as your next play. There's nothing more insignificant than the halftime score. So if a game is won or lost based on six plays, you can't afford to take one playoff. You can't afford. And that's what you just reminded us about that you learned in the mission field. Some days you don't want to work, but you got to do it anyway. And you already mentioned you want to make sure you don't leave any regrets. You're going to give it everything you've got when less would be sufficient because a mission lasts two years. Why not work every day? Because you know there's an end day. Yeah. Yeah. At some point, point, you don't have to have doors slammed in your face and walk around in the rain. But some point in time, your football career is going to come to an end whenever that is, 20 years from now, 15 years, 10 years from now. Mine came to an abrupt end through an injury, and 
I sit there in the stands. I get teary-eyed sometimes because I would give anything to run down and just one more play. I just want to play one more play. And Toby Keith's song, I'm, I'm not as good as I once was, but I'm as good as I was. Now, I'm not as good as I was, but I'm good once as I ever was. You know, so like Kyle put me in just one yeah, play, baby. I'm good. It. I'll pull a ham. I like that. You know, break my neck, but I just put me in one play. Yeah. So does that motivate you? Does that inspire you to just practice harder than ever before because you know that at some point because you're human this is going to come to an end and you want to milk it for everything it's got yeah for sure i like you said you never know when it's going to end and um it's been good so far and i I don't see why i would stop doing what i'm doing and i think another thing is i'm like you mentioned those six plays in the game you never know which one's going to impact and cause you to lose or win and it's just I'm so worried about not being prepared enough that that I just keep watching film, keep preparing. And something about film study that's always bothered me is you could spend hours and hours and sometimes you show up and they, like Chip Kelly, he'll throw in a whole brand new playbook. <laughs> and it's really frustrating, honestly. But if you can just get one or two plays that you make because you watch film, then then it's worth it. I remember playing and preparing against BYU, and then they show up and run it instead of playing hundred yard volleyball like the good old days. You yeah. know, that's when I played. Gifford Nielsen's my age, and I played against all those guys, McMahon and the boys. But you're right. So how do you how do you deal with with adaptability, flexibility? How do you prepare for the unknown? How do you prepare for a whole different playbook? Some things will never change, right? That's technique behavior at practice you your film study habits should never change but when it comes down to the game you got three options you can run the ball you can pass the ball you can play action then you still pass the ball right and so I think when we're getting ready to play UCLA I just put a lot more emphasis on technique you know striking blockers getting off blocks making tackles and and I still watch film for sure but um those kinds of weeks come down, come down to just behavior and instinct. You think you can teach instinct? You have a, you have, as we say, a nose for the ball. You always kind of figure out where it is. Can you teach that, Grenner, or is it? You think it's just an inbred in you? It's part of your DNA. No, I, I think the more reps you get in the film room of, of watching the flow of linemen and watching ball carriers, it becomes to feel more natural. And I don't think that. Is something that is born natural, but it starts to feel that way the more you work, I feel like. Okay, so off the field, under pressure, you don't rise to the occasion. You fall to your level of training. That's why we train and practice and prepare so hard. So what you're learning in football and through school and through everything is really helping you become a better human being. How can someone who's not playing playing sports, how can someone who's not an elite athlete like you learn what you've learned through football and competition to become all that they were born to be? That's a great question. I, I just think that life's hard for everybody, and everybody has um, trials that will teach them, and it's up to us whether they teach us or not. Luckily, football is a setting where you show up to work, and that itself is a trial. You know, Showing up to practice is hard, and so depending on how you go about that, you, you build your character. You build your abil- ability to be resilient. And so for somebody that doesn't play the sport, 
something else is going to be hard for them, whether, whether that be academics or music, playing an instrument. It's, it's all about mindset and how you attack that, whether or not you're going to become a better person. Okay, so what do you say to the second string, the third string guy who never gets any action because they're behind you? You know, you're this bona fide All-American, this superstar. I played football with a guy, and he's now the chief justice in Provo, Rick Romney. I'm not throwing him under the bus, but he didn't get a lot of playing time. But he never missed a practice. He ran every wind sprint. He was always in the weight room. And look where he ended up in life. It wasn't so much about game time. It was about, like you said, character and what am I going to learn. But those of us who had the, the privilege of starting, it's because the second string and third string guys pushed us every day in practice to be better or they were going to take our our job. So what would you say to all of your second string linebackers, all of the third string linebackers, anybody out there in a high school or, or, or college setting who isn't getting the playing time they dream to get, but what would you say to them? That's yeah, that's a real tough spot to be in, but it only makes you better. Like you said, I've been a part of some really good linebacker rooms and the one that we're in right now is, is amazing. Probably the best that I've been a part of. And I've seen us as a group get better, and that's because we we push each other, we compete, we learn from each other, we take each other's moves, you know, like it's just it's crazy. And to be in that spot, it's it's all about did did I give everything I could that day, you know, because you're not gonna get uh, you're not gonna be get thrown a bone and and start a game, and so it's just about. Can I be at peace with myself because I gave everything, you know? And so you do that over a long period of time, and you end up being like like your friend, you know, just in high places and, and doing well in life. So the typical NFL experience is when the rookie shows up and he's a receiver, and he's going to get a vet going against a veteran CB, a veteran cornerback, and the receiver's trying to make the team, and the cornerbacks doesn't want to lose his job. Remember, every new rookie comes in with the attitude that I'm going to take your job. There's only 53 slots, so there's that constant banter. And I've been at practice where the cornerback's saying to the receiver, the rookie receiver, dude, calm down. Stop going so fast, man. You're making me look bad. Holding him down, holding him back. And what you're saying is, no, in practice, we owe it to each other to push ourselves to really give it our best shot because you become better in practice, not so much in a game, right? Exactly. You hit it right there. Okay, pr- personal. So how do you prepare for a game? What do you do? You wake up and what's your righteous routine? Uh, depends on what time the game is because then the wake-up time changes. But I just try to make sure I get my eight hours of sleep. Um, if we have more time throughout the day, I'm usually just on my iPad. Um watching film and all that, stretching, staying loose, um, trying not to stay too tense, right? So hanging out with the boys and and staying calm but but staying ready. Okay, so what do you eat? Oh, man. What's your favorite food? What's, what's pregame meal, but then what's your favorite food? Two questions. It's so funny because at that point it's – you're just eating to have something in your stomach. I feel like nobody's enjoying the food. If that maybe the night before, but the day of the game, nobody's enjoying the food. It's all about let's make sure we have some kind of fuel in us. But we everyone's thinking about the game, right? So I don't I don't know how to answer that. So something that's like, light that like doesn't sit too French bad. toast? No, that's heavy. Yeah. <laughs> Man, bagel, yogurt, just anything to 
to get by that day. Okay, so what's your favorite food when you're not when it's not pregame? When it's not pregame. Oh man. Why is that so hard? I, I like soups. I like uh, beef soup, um, beef stew. I'm really easy, man. I ask I anybody. It. I'm very not picky at all. So, what's your favorite movie? Oh, you're just putting me in a bad light, man. Yeah, Let me but think. no, no, no. It, you couldn't be as bad as one of your teammates. He said Harry Potter. And okay. Well, Jared and I, the engineer, the world-class engineer of this podcast, we look at each other and we went, could you edit that out maybe? What the flip is he thinking about? <laughs> Harry Potter, come on, dude. Oh, but come on, so you're off the hook. It doesn't matter what it can't, is. It can't be worse than that? Can't be, okay, no, it you. cannot be worse than Harry Potter. And he's a stud. He's freaking ferocious. Man. I'm like, wow, he can turn that sucker off when he walks off the field and you know play with wands and stuff. This is cool. That is funny. <laughs> You know what? I I enjoyed the the Creed series, the Rocky Balboa oh, the yeah. Creed series. Yeah, I really enjoyed those. That's good. Why? Um, I just I I love the training scenes. I love the adversity. Uh, I just love them, man. I feel like they're motivated. Any movie that makes you get out of your seat and want to do something, I think, is a good movie. Like any make you want to do something that's wholesome and good for the world, right? Yeah, I love it. Good, good comeback, man. Good, good job. Okay, so uh, who has inspired you? Um, I always remind everybody when I was in Little League, my hero wasn't an NFL player. It was a high school star. And then when I got into high school, I wasn't really admiring the pros. I was admiring a college player. And then once we get into college, we start looking at the pros for inspiration. So who has been your inspiration kind of growing up? My older brother. Really? Yeah. Um, just seemed to always do the right thing and end up in the right place. And uh, just like every little kid, always wanted to be like him. And Very cool. I think that holds true to this day, man. Just, he's three years older than you. Yeah. Yeah. Very just cool. So grateful for his example, obedient, disciplined, hard worker, fun loving. And well, yeah. Just always looked up to him. Bringing tears to my eyes. That's I know, I'm cool. trying to stop, no, stop like uh, dragging it on before no, I get like, emotional. No, but like you said, you were kind of a surrogate dad to your two younger siblings because of that space in, in between the ages, and you're taking that into the field. You're taking that into, onto the team. How can I help? How can I be there for you? How can I be your brother? How can I, you know, maybe you have to put your arm around somebody and actually be their uncle for a minute because they're away from home and they're, you know, making some poor choices or something. So, Last question, my friend. What makes the Utah program so unique? Coming out of Tempview, uh, you know, we always talk about all these four-star, three-star, two-star, one-star, five-star athletes. And you can't judge heart. You can't measure character. You can't measure hustle. And I've had an opportunity to work with so many amazing athletes, Mike Arruziano and Erosione and Jim Craig, the goaltender for the 1980 Miracle on Ice U.S. Olympic hockey team. Bunch of young amateurs from college, and they beat the Russians. And that's one of my favorite movies because when you see an elite athlete competing at the highest level like you, you, you see more than muscle and bone going through motion. You see heart. Like you said, you see sacrifice. You see work ethic. You see mental toughness, all those things. So 
who who would inspire you in the NFL right now? Who, what linebacker do you kind of see yourself as with the same skill set? And then the follow up question is, who would be your favorite team if you had a dream dream team to draft you? Who would it be? Okay, uh, a linebacker that I look up to. I love watching Fred Warner and good old BYU guy, what a, I know. What a class guy, and even the player next to him, Dre Greenlaw. Oh yeah. He's closer to my size as well, but I just feel like they're so full of athleticism. Um, backers nowadays have to play the pass game more than ever, and I feel oh, like yeah. they do that maybe better than any backers in the league. What about Wagner from Utah State since we're throwing throwing out some yeah, local guys? He's too. kind of the same body type as you as well. And he's played for how many years, and the game's evolved, and he's still been at the top, right? And that's yeah. not easy to do. That's says a lot about his ability and athleticism as well. And Warner as well, what he does on the offseason, you know, with martial arts and I've really seen that. And so that's that's but that's what you've been saying, you know, it's what you do in the offseason, what you do off the field. So what would be your favorite team if you could get drafted? And so we can replay this video, this this recording many, many times, especially oh. when April comes rolling around. Anyone that's close to home. Oh really? yeah. Yeah, like the Vegas, pro, like the Provo Bulldogs. Like yeah, the Pro- come on, baby. <laughs> uh, I think Tiffany's a little closer, but any any NFL team that's close to home, I'll, I'll take it, man. Yeah, because family matters, and I exactly. get it. Very cool. This podcast is brought to you and sponsored by Berkshire Hathaway Home Services Utah Properties, one of the major sponsors of University of Utah student athletes. Okay, what I've asked every athlete to do, every student athlete to do is look in the camera and just basically give the sales pitch to every parent. You know, I got to just, we, we got to just talk for a second. So, uh, you know, my ties to uh, G. Ruben Clark, were, he's my uncle. And so when uh, Lavelle Edwards left our home, my dad and mom, they make, they, they have a huge impact on the decision we make of where we're going, even though I did kind of follow my girlfriend. But he leaves the house, and everybody in the world got some pretty good scholarship offers. They just knew I was going to BYU. And all of a sudden, Coach Bill Meek, Southern Baptist gentleman, comes rolling in. And there was no doubt in in our household that I was going to be a Ute, that I wouldn't be a Ute. And Freddie Graves, you know, he took me under his wing. He used to show me around when I was a junior in high school. They'd started to whine and me way back in the day. And I am forever a Ute, cut and dried. I love what that school has meant to me and what I've learned, especially after I got injured, what, what happened and how I, lear- how I was able to quantify what I learned as a football player to help me become a professional. You know, a, a, a man, a dad, married for 43 years and just kind of trying to do the right thing. So there's, there's, we need to talk about the significance of the culture of the University of Utah and how the family feeling on the field and in the locker room really is a real thing. So what I'm asking you to do is to just look in the camera and give every mom and dad in the country and every high school athlete the sales pitch of why they should come to the University of Utah and play football or basketball or if they're a female to play one of our women's sports who are also champions. If you look at what we've been doing in the Pac-12, we're kicking butt and taking names. It's so flipping cool. I agree, man. Right now, you ready? Yeah, baby, do it. All right. Maybe start with a joke, end with a meaningful poem. Take about 40 <laughs> minutes, no problem. I, was like, I don't know where to start, <laughs> how to say it. 
Um, just Utah is a real family. Uh, I can, especially on that football team with the transfer portal being involved. There's new players around the country, but one thing about Utah is that culture never changes. Uh, with a coaching staff that's been there as long as they have been, you always get hard work and toughness at that program. And so, uh, as you see teams and programs changing year to year, uh, the culture of Utah never changes. That's what I got, man. I love it. And football is just such a short, short moment of our lives. And so you, you're able to take what you learned as an athlete and as a team member back into the world. So I appreciate you so much. So do I say Karena? Karena? Karene. Karene. Yeah, there you go. K-E-R-E. E-N-E-E-E-E-X-Ante Glue, something like that. Yeah, <laughs> Something like that, around there. You're such a dude. I appreciate you, man. So this is Dan Clark, Power Players with Dan Clark, again, uh, honoring the student-athletes at the University of Utah. And today we've had a chance to interview number 21, this handsome, brilliant, articulate, smart, fire plug of a, of a human being who happens to play football. I love watching you play, man. You reckless abandon all the words that we've heard growing up and I just want you to know we as fans honor you and and you're so inspirational because you really, in fact, never take a playoff. You're always flying around, and that's just so cool to me. Thank you so much. I appreciate so it. So thanks, and uh, if you're in the NIL world, step it up. Karene, you should be, uh, you know, 2 or $3 million wealthier after you listen to this podcast, so... How do we find you on social media, dude? How do we support you individually? Uh, if you just search my name on Instagram, Karene Reed, and on Twitter as well, Facebook, it should be easy to find. Yeah. I'm sure he has a little, you know, PayPal, like, you know, shopping cart where you could, you know, buy one of his game-worn socks for three or $4,000. I think we can really start milking that, man. I would love, yeah, I would love that. <laughs> I don't know if they'd love that, but I would love that. Thanks. You have a great day. And for the record, I like Harry Potter. (laughs) Yeah, put that in. The views and opinions expressed on the Power Players podcast do not necessarily reflect those of KUTV or Sinclair Broadcast Group.